Hey, hey, I'm back again. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I am your host, Sean Dustin. This is number two of the double header today. I got one more coming up at 5 p.m. Pacific time, but this is our second uh, of today, and this is with Dave and Carla. I don't have their last names. It's in the description, but they are uh, three-time authors. And they also talk about spirituality and reincarnation, which is really interesting to me, the reincarnation aspect of it, because we're all energy. And what happens to that energy when it leaves the body and goes wherever it goes? And it's always been kind of interesting to me. So it's one of the reasons why I invited him to come on the show to talk about these topics with me. So. When we come back uh, from the intro, they will be joining me. But first of all, if you're watching on YouTube, do me a favor and hit that like or hit the subscribe button and thumbs the video up. If you're on Facebook, go ahead and like and share the studio. We depend on that. The algorithm is not nice unless you pay them to do it for you. Uh, also, with uh, the podcast platforms themselves, when you're watching on this and it gets aired there in about three weeks to a month, uh, Go ahead and subscribe. That helps me to be more visible on the platforms themselves. So I will be back in just a moment right after these words. Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. Hey, hey, hey. How's it going, Dave, Carla? Great. We're doing great, Sean. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for uh, taking some time to hang out with me and talk about spirituality and reincarnation. And one of the things that I read in your your, uh, biography or your bio, Dave, is that you did some work in prisons. I actually did, Sean, and that's why we even saw your podcast and we thought, there might be some potential. I actually was a physician and took care of for, well, I don't know, three years, uh, a, partly a prison population. So uh, the spirituality in the prisons and those things have always been an interest to me too. So if, if you have any questions that way, we can certainly go down that path too. Awesome. Awesome. So you guys are longtime friends, colleagues, coworkers. Um, explain, explain to the audience the connection that you two have and, and, and why you're here. Well, um, first of all, um, in 1998, Dave bought the practice, the medical practice where I was working. I was the office manager there. And uh, we came very, became good friends rather quickly. I didn't have a brother. He was like 
you know, the brother I didn't have. And, you know, as time went on, we were normal people with the usual problems, you know, life stress, you know, all of those things that get in our way. And um, in the office, we were um, implementing electronic medical records because it was mandated and it was really stressful. You know, we're not 29, 39. We uh, were used to doing everything with a chart and paper and pencil um, and everything had to be computerized and it was so stressful. And for Dave, it was taking a lot of time away from the patients themselves. He had to check every box and ask every question and everything the government was asking you to do. And he was really stressed. And I like to say that he's normally a cross between Yogi Bear and Fred Flintstone. And he really was not. He was just, it was sad. I couldn't talk to him. He was cranky. He just was not reachable. So Ironically, I was reading one ma- one morning uh, in AARP magazine. Okay, that dates us guys. But, um, you know, there was an article in there about meditation. And I was surprised that it was in that magazine, but it was really enlightening. And I thought, you know, maybe we should try this in the office. So I took it in and I said to Dave, you know, you are not yourself. I don't know what your problem is. I mean, no, it's stressful, but either I can call a counselor for you or what do you think about trying meditation as an office? And of course, you know, he said, well, let's try to meditate first. And so we decided we would do that. And there were two other girls in our small medical office. Um, You know, Dave's a physician and I was his office manager. And um, the first two days, um, the other girls joined us. The first day we all admitted it was so tough to shut your brain down and to concentrate on nothing. But we did it, and it was a half an hour before the patients began. The next day, we did it again, and we all saw different colors, and we relaxed more. And then on the third day, the other two girls said, eh, we don't want to come in at 7.30. We'll do it at home. So it was just Dave and I, and we began to uh, make this the normal practice whenever we worked, and we also did it at home. And, you know, there's great benefits to meditation that we learned, and Dave being the medical doctor, he'll explain some of those to you. So, again, this is seven or eight years ago now, and and it was literally, it became a 16-hour day. I was getting up at 5.30 in the morning, started to work on the computer. Now, it did get a lot easier after six months or a year, but at this time, I was becoming really a bear, and I'm usually, like she said, relatively friendly and happy. And it was amazing to me because even after the first three days, I would jump up and run back down the hall and start seeing patients. And it seemed like it was some sort of magic that we actually shut all the computers off. Didn't look at our cell phones, did nothing but relax, lit candles and, and just meditated. And the peace was wonderful. Found there were lots of benefits to meditation. Um, at that time, I was going through a lot of other issues besides the medical records. Um, my marriage was falling apart. I weighed about 325 pounds. I'd become horribly unhealthy. Meditation was teaching me to become my better self. And we'll tell your listeners that during the early part, I set a goal. I said, you know, if I'm going to be my best self and relax and do all these things, I, th- I think Carla was sort of answering a prayer for me because what happened is I set a goal. And one year later, I had lost 116 pounds. Wow. Meditating every day, going for a walk, eating right. The weight fell up. I found out that 
blood pressure goes down when you meditate. Blood sugars go down when you meditate. Cortisol goes down, which is that stress hormone that makes people gain weight. It drops, let alone the anxiety and the stress and everything that was going on in my life. I just felt better. So we kept meditating and we started having strange or different experiences. I would see things and I'd tell Carla and we started just journaling things I was seeing. One day I had a memory and the memory was about my childhood back in 1962 when I was three. So if you can figure out my age, if you want, uh, but my, my dad was a high school principal and he was, well, he was a high school teacher then, and he was still working on his graduate degree. We lived in Nebraska and we got in a car and I drove all the way across the country and we went to Boston where my dad was going to graduate school. And my real memory that I remembered while I was meditating was that I was running on a beach. And as I was screaming and running, this little girl jumped up. She hit me in the chest, knocked me down, sat on my chest, gave me a kiss on the forehead. She jumped back up. She put both hands on her hips. She screamed, be quiet. You're bothering my family. And I looked over at her with her little pot belly in this little blue ruffled two-piece bathing suit. And I'm telling Carla, I had this memory while I'm meditating. And Carla looked at me. What'd you say, and Carla? I, and I said, that was me. And first of all, my sister also worked in the office with us. And we both said at the same time, when did you live in Boston? Because we're from Boston. So he started to tell us this story that his father, as part of the GI Bill, had the opportunity to school. And they went to Boston. And I said, well, Dave, I remember that day like it was yesterday because my family, you know, we we're from the good Catholic family. I was the youngest of six girls and we were all together that day. My parents were always splitting up and getting back together and they got together that day, rented two cabs. We didn't have a car. We were not well off. But when we got to the, the beach, it wasn't just a, ba a beach with sand. It had an amusement park with it. So when he just started to describe it, we knew it was Revere Beach in Boston. And when we got there, I didn't have a bathing suit for whatever reason. Now, normally I would have inherited one from one of my sisters, but all of us went across the street to one of those little souvenir shops and I got my first brand new bathing suit, two piece blue with ruffles. And of course, I was ecstatic for many reasons. And it's one of those moments that sticks in your mind because my parents were together. We were all together. And I got a new bathing suit, which was unheard of. And to remember all of those things and for him to know it, I got a chill up my back and my sister too. We just couldn't believe it. And of course, that just started us meditating even more. And of course, you know, I wondered what was going on. Dave wondered, why did this surface? Yeah, because that was... We literally met 38 years later, or no, not 30, 37, something close to that. We never kept in touch. That was it until he came in and bought the medical practice where I worked in Ohio. That's crazy. Yes. But it makes sense, though. So. Yes. So there was something that we at least drew each, each other together and and so, and, and it was strange because we headed off and we were great friends right away. And we kept meditating. And then I had a day where I said, Carla, I was meditating. 
Suddenly I was standing in an alley and I looked across the alley and you were standing there. And I said, I know it was you, but you didn't look the same exactly. You still had those same steel blue eyes, but you, you were dressed in this fringy dress and there was two bright lights went off. I felt something hit me in the chest. I was thrown back and I knew I'd been shot. And she looked at me and she said, that is such a strange thing. She says, why was I dressed like a flapper? The next day we're meditating. And I go back to the same time period. And I realized that I met the flapper at a wedding. And that we met up. And the next day we went out to breakfast. And I took her a walk along the Chicago coastline, along Lake Michigan. And it's winter and it's cold, but we're walking. She tells me her name is Ruby Donaldson, that she's from Bullock, Georgia. Her father's name is James. She's a flapper and she works at a speakeasy, but she was actually singing at this wedding of a man named Angelo. And I find out all this information and I think it's strange, but I know it's in Chicago in the 1920s. That's all we knew. Carla's a very curious woman. She ran off on the next day she wasn't working. And she called me at the office. Tell him what you did, Carla. Well, I got onto Ancestry.com. And certainly... <laughs> What did I find? I found a birth certificate for Ruby Donaldson, born in 1904 in Bullock, Georgia, to a James and Anna Donaldson, one of 11 children. And I could find pictures of them. I didn't find any of myself, but there were some um, on Ancestry. Um, and then I found, knowing that it was a man named Angelo, and, uh, and somewhere in there he told me that he was a gangster, um, I found an article from a newspaper in Chicago from January the 10th, 1925. And that was the wedding of Angelo Jenna to Lucille Spinola. They were married at Ashland Auditorium in Chicago. There was another article. Um, it was a picture of their 10 foot wedding cake because they served over 3000 gangsters. And so I called Dave and I said, Dave, like, I found these things. I, I found the names. I can corroborate what you're telling me. So, you know, th this, these are not just things he made up. He, he got these names and we found things to corroborate it. There, there truly was a, a Ruby Donaldson. So we kept meditating. And if, if that's not enough, we kept meditating because here we have this memory that's from 1925 before we're born. I, I start getting more of the details and there's a day when I'm sitting with Carla and I'm telling her more details. And literally, I become J.J. Wright, this man from 1925. And I'm talking to Ruby Donaldson. And while I'm telling her, or we're having a conversation, Carla literally becomes Ruby and starts to answer the questions as I'm asking them. And she knows the answers and has the same memory from 1925. It was very strange because it was uh, it was like an out-of-body experience that I'm knowing these things and I'm thinking, where the heck did that just come from? How did I do that? 
You know, it was so strange. And and Dave and I were not, you know, he was married, I was married. And all of a sudden, it was abundantly clear that we had feelings for each other. And so at that moment, we both ran out of the room and went separate directions. And the patient yeah. started to come in and we just avoided each other like the plague. Almost it, like you guys were doing something wrong, huh? Yes. Yeah, because we had a memory that was before this life. And and. N- I certainly didn't think it was possible. Now, since then, we've actually got in a car and drove to Chicago, walked down the street in Little Italy and turned a corner where I thought was the right corner to turn. And I found the apartment that Ruby Donaldson lived in in 1925, there for my memory. And a friend of ours who was still interested when we were telling him the story actually went back and found the apartment building and it was actually built in 1899 and has been an apartment building ever since. So we have this life before this one and we started, well, we kept journaling everything that happened after that. And soon we found 42 other memories that I had 34 other memories that Carla had and 29 of them that we shared over the last 6,000 years. So you're, so, so if I'm, if I'm putting this together, right, you're saying that both of your energies have been, I don't even know what the word to say. Uh, both of your energies have been co-mingling for over 6,000 years through through Re- past life experiences and reincarnations. Correct. 29 times. And we started running after that because we started writing parts of the stories. We'd get more information. We'd write them down. I started doing research on reincarnation and we found that there was a there's a lot of actual research out there that's been going on on kids for almost the last 50 or 60 years. They study kids because three and four year olds can't really be coached. And a lot of kids will say, you know, do you remember when I was a mommy before? Well, people think that that's just kids making stories. Well, Ian Stevenson, Jim Tucker, Jim Matlock now are still doing research studies, and they found 2,500 kids where they've been able to take what a three-year-old has told them, travel to somebody's life, some other town or place, and find what the kids are telling them is true. Through the University of Virginia, by the way. Yeah. And so they've now documented some 2,500 cases of kids who have past life memories And some of the other things that go on there. And so that was interesting. We found out about past life regression, which I really didn't know anything about. Um, But past life regression is where you're hypnotized. And Dr. Brian Weiss is one. And we actually trained with Dr. Weiss after after we wrote our first book because we wanted to meet more people. But he was a psychiatrist head of Mount Sinai down in Florida, and he had started hypnotizing people to take them to their childhood. 
to see if he could find out what, what it caused their trauma in life and etc. And he accidentally took people and they started remembering lives before this life. And he kept taking them back and they remembered more lives before this life. And so as we started looking at all these lives, we started seeing and finding people, other people from this life in those lives also. I found my father many times and we found some of Carla's sisters in different lives. And it's it, it became bigger and bigger for us as we kept watching this thing expand. So we kind of had to write the story. We started doing more and more research, reading everything we could get a hold of, including I started reading all this science journals that I could related to the mind, uh, consciousness, some Buddhist thought, trying to figure out what was there. And, and what I found is that during meditation, during past life regression, during the time between wake and sleep, when some people mem remember their dreams, we activate the same part of our brain. In abundance. Yep. So we actually have delta waves and theta waves that that get larger where when you are actually accessing the subconscious part of your brain. And then I've gotten involved with some other people and, and listened. And it really becomes this idea that the soul, and we'll call it the soul, but it could be also called the conscious stream that exists outside of your physical being. And that we that the soul or that consciousness actually connects with the physical being in each life. And it goes back to that non-physical state that we call heaven or the spiritual world, whatever you want to call that. And the more we meditated, the more we learned. We started having interesting things start to happen. Actually, there was a day that I met Carla's mother. Carla usually jumps in and says, and, I, and this is interesting because her mother died 20 years before. He never met her. And this woman came and, and reminded me of Carla, and she kept showing me a shoe. And I, I told Carla about it. She was jovial and happy. She showed me the shoe and Carla brought up on her screen at the office, 60 pair of shoes. And I walked over and said, that's the shoe. And Carla started telling me the story. You should tell him, Carla. But Well, my mother was a ballroom dancer and, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. And back in those days, she'd get one pair of shoes. It was like a satin open-toed sandal. And then she would just re-dye it to match what she was wearing. But she always wore that shoe throughout her life. And she'd wear it to church or, you know, dress up or whatever. It wasn't, she didn't wear it every day. She wore it for dance and church and things like that. So for him to pick that shoe out of, you know, 60 pair on the screen, what's the chances? And he got it right. And you know, my first question was, why is my mother coming to you and not me? I'm meditating. <laughs> but but she did, and he had never met her before. This is, this is kind of fascinating because, I mean, if, if what you're saying, 
you know, and I, I'm not, I don't think you're making it up, but so everybody is just a recycled, we're just recycling back into physical forms once we're released from that form when we pass, when we pass on. Correct. Yes, but there's a little more to it. It's really fascinating and it's very entertaining to learn about our past lives. However, we're not here just for that reason. And early on, um, Dave, you know, through religion, we've all heard of like guardian angels. And there is a difference between a spirit guide and a guardian angel. And Dave met his spirit guide early on. And she began to give us lessons that we would journal. And she would tell us about our past lives. But then she would tell us that I'm going to give you the condensed version of the Ten Commandments because they're easier for you to remember. You need to live a life that is without conceit jealousy, selfishness, and unforgiveness. If you do all of that, then your choices will be made in love. It's condensed down. So each life that we live, and when we wrote our first book, we actually put 20 of our past life stories in the first book. And after each one of those lives, we gave the reason that we came back to yet another life, what we didn't fulfill. Were we conceited? Were we jealous? Whatever the reason was. So we have a reason when we're here, we have something to accomplish. And those people that repeat and come back with us, we refer to them as our soul family. And they're either a family mate or a karmic mate. The family mate comes back with us. We agree to do it because we get along great. Like Dave and I, we decided that we could accomplish something together. And we believe at this point in our late life, it's to write our books and get the message out to people. Um, And then you have a karmic mate and that karmic mate, could be somebody that you wronged in a previous life. So God is giving us another chance to go back with that person and make it right with that person because we should. And, and we found that karma is related to all of this, Sean. And, and there's another sort of underlying thing you have to understand here. And it's one of the things Isabella said, there really is no hell. It's, learning lessons, moving forward, getting rid of the karma. And karma is not about punishment. It's about learning lessons and compassion. And in in every one of our lives, and if you don't know your past lives, it doesn't matter because you can talk about this life. Anytime you've made a mistake, and we don't even like to call them mistakes, poor choices, there's a chance to correct it. There's a chance to learn something from it. Uh, you know, I know you have people on your podcast that have been to prison and have gone through a lot of different hard things. Sometimes the transformation can occur in this life. They can take the mistake or the poor choice they made and turn it around. Then you start to look at some of the patterns that we saw because we looked at our our past lives and we found, I'll give you an example, a a life where we were Vikings landing on Scottish soil, trying to battle the Scottish. In the next life, we were English fighting the Scottish. In the next life, we were Scottish fighting the English. In the next life, Carla was a Viking descent, part of English royalty, and was fighting the Scottish again because you actually fought on both sides of the same war because to you learn get a, compassion. to learn compassion. 
We found in past lives that we've been Catholic, Muslim, Jewish, pagan. pagan. Because there's some truth in all religions. There's some positives you can take from everything. However, if you live the other side, you realize the other side can't be wrong and you're right because you were the other side. You start to learn that there's lessons in every life. We've been, well, I think I've been black 14 times and Carla said 16. Is that right? Yes. And we've also been Asian and we've been from Spain before and we've been from a Mayan life and an Egyptian life. So we've lived it as white, black, Asian, red, every color you want to think of. And we've been saints and sinners. Rich and poor, slaves and slave owners. Because if you aren't on both sides of every issue, how will you ever understand? And the goal, yeah, and the goal is to get through all of these life lessons and get to the point where you make every decision out of love and you can get off the wheel, get off the cycle. So if I'm understanding, there is a graduation from this once you once you learn how to live in love and be that, you know, whatever it is, that light and that. That, that source of energy, the light. You've raised your vibration. Whatever people like to use as their word. When you get to the point where you're making all choices out of love, you become love and you return back to Tao, source, creator, God, universe, whatever your term is. You were created as love, but the reality is of the human experience is you have to start with some sort of self-defense mechanism. The fight or flight starts. Your ego kicks in. And really our goal in the world is to grow past that. Work in cooperation. As the population gets greater and greater and greater, we actually have to learn how to live together, not beating each other up. Now, my question is, as the population gets bigger and bigger, do like there's only so many of these energies or so or consciousnesses that are floating in and out, you know, and being reincarnated. Do they start from a beginning where they. uh, Okay, so China. Yes. We use the word soul, but. it's a, it's a conscious and a subconscious stream that runs together and continues. The soul connects to you. If you look at some of the reincarnation research, probably it's an evolutionary point in, in, in world development. Whatever the energy that we are created at from the beginning of the Big Bang, whatever the, the energy, the universe that starts, this energy source, God, creator, we expand from that in all directions. That part of us that becomes the individual. It's created fully and complete in love, but it comes here and it has to compete for survival. 
Well, once it no longer has to compete for survival because it's learned every lesson, it returns back to God, Tao, Source. So you can get off of this to a world that is the spiritual world, heaven as some people call it, where you're back one with God. And and Sean, I think, I'm not sure if this was the question. In the beginning, all souls were created at the same time. And God sent us down a little at a time, but there are still a few souls waiting to be incarnated the first time. So as the planet grows, there are ample souls. In fact, they've found through research, um, you know, through the University of Virginia, that these souls are coming back quicker. Um, in religion, you might have heard it called atonement. In the reincarnation world, they refer to it as life review. It actually is taking a short amount of time as more people are on the earth. We come back quickly. Yeah, we the time between lives. Yeah, the time between lives. Yeah. We found earlier lives, a lot of them had two, three hundred years between lives. And interesting, the research on children is now showing the time is something closer to 18 months when those between lives. So if there was a finite number of souls, the turnover is faster than it used to be. Hmm. That's interesting. It's interesting. It is interesting. So you're saying that you can access these these stories and these past lives through meditation, which some people use uh, psilocybin, um, hallucinogenics to access the 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 pineal gland, which I believe right. is where all of that stuff you know allows and opens up into other dimensions and other levels of of realities, right? Correct. That's what the pineal gland, whether it's scientifically is really the pineal gland or it's a spot there. But yes. And Dave, you we should say, Sean, that, you know, we're just ordinary people. And until that day in 2014, when we started to meditate, we had no idea that Dave could access the spiritual world like he does. Now, we're on a lot of reincarnation sites and we have a lot of connections those way, that way. A lot of people have this capability, and it's just that it's not out in the mainstream because religion and the people, you know, the powers that be, they've held that down because if you and I can access God ourselves, then why do we need the in-betweens, right? Yeah, well, anytime you have a third party that's involved mm -hmm. in anything, there's a lot of fraud that happens with it. Absolutely, and way back... <laughs> You know, way back many moons ago, um, one of the, um, there was, a, help me out, Dave, here, uh, Molinism. Um, it was a, a movement where people were meditating, and they actually outlawed it in the Catholic Church because they said that it was um, blasphemous, that you shouldn't be doing that. Well, hello, um, if, if you can access God in the spiritual world yourself, why would you go to confession? If you can confess right there to God? So they outlawed that. And um, I forget, I think it was, um, I don't know, one of those, Pope Pius XI, I think it was, not yeah, so Pius. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, we, yeah. we, we started doing, so our first book was The Gift of Past Lives with Mother Isabella God and Elizabeth. Um, that's where we 
our first where we talked about our first experience. But and can I to... say one thing, Dave? Sure, please. After that, Sean, my family totally did away with me, all but one sister, because they, you know, they think we're crazy. So that's where, and Dave will explain to you, we wrote Hell No Reincarnation was our second book. And we did a lot of research because we needed to um, kind of justify um, to other people. We were raised Catholic. We wanted to explain to them uh, why we did the first book. And then Dave can tell you about some of the research that we did with yeah. Hell No Reincarnation. So first of all, Sean, I'm going to say, I encourage everyone to ask for their higher power, their God, if they're trying to overcome things. We do talk in in our book about different kinds of karma, including family karma and passing things on to your kids. Sometimes you can actually reincarnate back into the same family. You certainly know that like alcoholism runs through family. So you could be an alcoholic father and a few generations later return and have an alcoholic father and you're the kid trying to break those kind of generational karmas that follow us abuse follows those kind of things those are all lessons we have to overcome uh i just wanted to get that out there so i didn't forget but we started doing as much bible reading as much research into reincarnation as much research into the church as we could i'm going to tell you a short story that's uh going to condense the Bible really down very quickly. In, in the Hebrew, people were chosen by God. They all screwed up. And they got another chance. And he remade a new covenant with them. And guess what? In the Bible, they all screwed up again. And he made a new covenant this time with Noah. First it was Abraham, then it was Noah. They screwed up again, and they made a new covenant with King David. That's the Old Testament right there. Chance after chance, no matter how bad they do, they get another chance. In the book of Leviticus, really written in Hebrew and written in Aramaic, they don't use the word sin. They use the word kata. And kata is the word that means failed to reach your goal. That's a lot different than the word sin that we look at. Failed to reach your goal. So if you're looking, and, and then they go through atonement. And if you actually look biblically, Sheol is a place where dead people go. It's not hell. Even early Greek writing, it was Hades. It's a place dead people go. It's not hell. Hell doesn't even occur as a concept until about 50 or 60 years before Jesus' time. There's no punishment the Old Testament says, you screwed up, I'll give you another chance. I'll screw, you screwed up, I'll give you another chance. The time in between is a time of, time of atonement and you go to Sheol. That's what the Old Testament says. We have Jesus' time, which becomes really big and exciting for the world history. And the Romans expand Christianity throughout the world. A hundred years after Jesus, all the books of the New Testament are written. There's a big span of time that it passes. At about 180 uh, years after or AD, the first real church theologian who's considered the expert, his name is Origen. He was of Jewish descent. 
now one of the new Christians. He is the theologian, theologian who is writing the entire beginning of the Catholic Church. He says, the soul can transmigrate between bodies. The soul pre-existed before your birth and will exist after your birth. He's, he says, Jesus was created by God, not one with God. This is, this is the early Catholic Church teaching. By 325 BC in the Council of Nicaea, it becomes changed. In 400 BC, 200 years after his death, Origen is excommunicated from the church because he believed in, in reincarnation. Just that's the history. In 325, they voted Jesus was God. And, and it's not quite as dramatic as that because the vote was, is Jesus one with God or is Jesus begotten by God? It, it, it's a little technical, but really it's 325. They vote Jesus is God, equal with God. The rest of the church from then on is political. I hate to say that because I know people, and I encourage people to go to church because it's good for fellowship and all of those things. But part of the history is missing that nobody teaches us. They certainly don't teach us in catechism class. I was raised Catholic myself. I went to catechism. I went to all those things. And the one thing that I I took from religion and, and some of the times that I read, you know, the Bible when I was in prison, because that's all they gave us for the first 30 days that you're, you get there and you have to wait to, you know, figure out where they're going to put you. They give you a Bible. It's the only thing that you can read. And I think it, to me, what it seemed like was organized religion was something that was put in place to keep people in line when nobody was looking. Correct. It's a, it was part of the political system. <clears throat> and it really is. It's a control we, factor. Yeah. And we are spiritual. We're energy. We have abilities that nobody tells us about. Like you were saying, I think that we are just these big meat antennas that, Connect. That, you know, broadcast out to, you know, different things. And I have experiences with that I can't explain that would only the more energy that I was putting into. So here, I'll give you an, ex, I'll give you an example. So yes. I went, I went to, I went to a club once and I saw this girl, she was beautiful. She was dancing up on stage and I couldn't get her out of my head for about, I don't know, two weeks, I would just constantly think about her and I'm like, God, you know, she would always come back into my mind. I took a Kalatapin, uh, a bar and I, my roommate gave it to me and I didn't know that I was only supposed to take one of the little four squares, one of the squares and not all four of them. Oh, and geez. I, and I got pretty lit, but while I was, while I was in this space, this state, I got a phone call from a guy that I, can't remember i met him at some bar somewhere and all of a sudden this girl gets on the phone and we talk and you know i i we figure out all right well you know i'm kind of jacked up right now but let me take your number down and and i'll call you back and you know when i'm feeling better so i do we end up meeting up and it's the girl uh -huh. there you go Those there are happen. no accidents 
Yeah. And I was like, how is that possible? Cause I, I never met you before. And, you know, yeah. and it's just one of those things where people just come in and out of your life and, yes. and, we, you don't necessarily know why they're there, but they're there for something. They're and, there for something and they're there for a reason, a lesson, or you're to help them. That happens. And it happens over and over again. And sometimes it's the smallest little thing that really makes the difference. You know, if what I've lost a hundred and some pounds, if Carla hadn't said, let's just try meditation. It's sometimes it's the smallest thing that starts to make a difference. And so now we're out trying to tell people we've had this experience. I don't even think they have to believe all of it. If they start to believe that there's something bigger than just this, you know, part of it is we are in a shared experience. And I know people talk about the matrix and, and, what kind of big computer program we're living in, I don't think it even matters because we still have a shared experience. I'm actually talking to Sean and I can see Carla on my screen and the people out in front of you because we actually have a shared experience, whether we're physical or non-physical, whether we're all energy or not, this is the experience that we have. And we're all here to share the experience together and travel through this experience together because there's purpose to the experience that we will grow and become better people. And, and it was meant to happen. And it was meant to happen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't, I don't think that there's coincidences at all. And, and, you know, if you're, if you're in tune, I, th I think the difference is, is that if you're in tune with it, you're able to notice it more so than people that really aren't in tune because you're not paying attention to it. You're paying attention to other things that whatever it is, you know, I Ego think things. Yeah, yeah. Ego things, whether you're trying to uh, achieve something, you know, for yourself, and what I've noticed is when I put myself aside and I start doing things for reasons other than my own personal gain, that I'm in this vibration or this space that brings more opportunities to me than, than if I were to, you know, when, when I'm trying to control, when I'm trying to control things, right. When I'm trying to control outcomes and I'm trying to make sure that these things are met or this thing's met, or maybe I can, you know, do this over here to, to cross paths with somebody over here. When I give all that up and I say, you know what? Screw this. It, it's too hard. I, I'm, I'm spinning, I'm spinning my wheels and going nowhere. Uh -huh. And when I finally just release it and allow whatever it is to take, take control and Hey man, just let me let me do right by the universe and let me just be that whatever it needs to be, whatever I need to be, because I've almost died five times. Why am I even still here? You know what I mean? I've, I've started from zero three times. Why am I still here? What is my purpose? Well, apparently my purpose is to help people. And absolutely to, to be an example of, you know, you speak about, you know, in this lifetime, I've changed a lot of things about myself in this lifetime. And, and now, you know, from being an abusive person to, uh, you know, how I 
how I was in life and, and, and how I manipulated people and how I would do all of these things to serve myself. Now I'm on the opposite spectrum of it. And that's what I talk about. Now I talk about like, look, this is a person I used to be. And if I can change it, so can you, I want to be an example to other men that you don't have to be an abusive person. You don't have to be a manipulative person. You don't have to be all of these things to get along in this life. All you need to do is, is trust that there is a plan, whatever it is. And that as long as you just give up and surrender to win, which is a crazy concept that I never understood, but Sean, I'm going to tell you, this, this is one of our lessons, too, which is the lesson really is to be thankful for what you have and thankful for what's coming. It's not necessarily trying to steal what's coming. It's not trying to be conceited, thinking you deserve what's coming. It's not trying to be jealous and take what somebody else has. It's really being thankful for what you have and more keeps coming. You just let it happen and it keeps coming. Because we learned early on when you say your prayers, this is what Dave Isabella, his fair guy, told him. When we pray, we were taught through religion to pray and ask for things. When we pray, we're supposed to thank, trust the process, and things will come to us. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you just said. And, and actually what you just said was the five simple rules. Quit making decisions that are selfish, jealous, conceited, unforgiving, and make decisions based on love. Again, that the simple lesson changes the way you approach everything. And you start to say, what can I do for them? And as you're doing for them, more happens for you. Mm. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, everything is, I mean, I, I feel like everything is inverted you know, it's what's up is down, what's left is right. But even in the right way too, because you know, what we, I mean, even, even how we project our own insecurities onto other people and how our, how our brain works. Like I used to do that all the time. I struggled with weight and part of, you know, my abusive behavior was I would, you know, hit my ex with, you know, the weight thing and try to get her that way. And, but it, what it really was is like, I struggle with weight too. And so really what I was doing is I was projecting my own feelings about myself onto her because my, I hated myself so much because I couldn't do the things that I would watch her struggle with too. And so it was just, and so in saying that, I, I say that to say this is that, if you don't know the rules to the game you're playing, you're never going to win. Right. And, and, and Sean, this is because we fought on both sides of different wars. And you realize that when you start to think you're going to win, there is no winner if you think you're going to win. Because somebody has to lose. And if there's any karma involved, if you make somebody a loser – you're going to be a loser. It's really a matter of how do you make everybody's life better? How do we move everybody in the right direction? That's really the secret to all of these things. It's trying to raise everybody's perspective, everybody to be more loving, more understanding, more open discussions, because the secrets 
just hide us all in a little box. And we don't know what anybody else is doing. And we've actually got the world sort of in a box right now. COVID made everybody in a box. We've started segmenting Republicans and Democrats and blacks and whites and back in boxes. And the problem with that is without the shared dialogue, the shared experience, we don't raise everybody up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like at every corner there, there's, you know, when, when you're watching mainstream media, which I always tell everybody, yeah. I tell everybody if the, 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 the one thing that you can do to change your life today is stop watching TV. Stop tuning in to the news. Stop tuning into any of that stuff because all it's meant to do is traumatize you. Yep. You know, we don't watch the news or we only, we stream a movie. That's it. Or documentaries or something. Yes. Love history shows, things that, because even as we've done all these past life memories, it's really what you learn from history. Mm -hmm. And Maybe as a society and as a world, we have some group karma, whether it's Christian persecution by the Romans, whether it's Hitler's persecution of the Jews, whether it's Muslims against Christians and Christians against Muslims, or this country against that country, or races against races. We're not looking back at history and learning any lessons if we keep doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Just in another form. And if we're not, if you, and if you're not quick enough, though, those, that history disappears. That's correct. And it disappears for a reason. Yes. So that, cause they don't want you to know the truth or, you know, or we don't ever see the real history because we see media produced history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it, those are parts of the, the world we're missing. So yeah, that this is great. Uh, you fall right into to the way that I think, um, and you know, and it wasn't always like that. You know, the beginning of my transition or transformation really was through podcasts and listening to them, and listening to that content for fourteen hours a day sometimes. And what ended up happening is, is that I was going down rabbit holes. I started with Joe Rogan and then I went off to Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris, and all of these other intellects, uh, Lex Friedman, um, and people that were, without me even knowing it, shifting my mindset. And I started moving in a different direction. I wasn't even trying to. But it was listening to all of that content and not listening to the mainstream stuff and not being gaslit uh, through the means in which they, they do that. And it's just the more I listen, the more I realize that not only is it important what I put in my mouth, it's important what I put in my ears and it's important what I watch, what I, what I let my eyes see, because it all has an influence. It absolutely does. I don't know how many times we begin a movie and it's violent or it's disrespectful. And I say to Dave, I don't want to watch this. It's not worth it. We don't, we don't feel that we don't want to be that way. We want to make things better. And wouldn't it be absolutely wonderful instead of just handing everybody the Bible to hand them our first book so that people in prison could read. Everything is not permanent. You're not a loser. We've all been saints and sinners. You have another chance. Here's your chance. You know, wouldn't it be fantastic? Yeah. I I want to mention again that I, I had done some work as a physician within the prison system. 
And I, I can't comment about the world because every prison, there's certainly gang situations, lots of different situations. I'm going to tell you that the population in the prisons that I visited that was the most amazing was actually the Muslim population. They were changing people's lives there in prison. Because, and I know that many people joined because it was a protection group. But I had a, a group of older Muslim men, some of which were in for life. And their whole goal was to see if they could get these young men to change their perspective so that when they got out, that they would never come back in. And if, if connecting them to God and a prayer and a pattern where they were supposed to be positive worked, and it, it, it was. In one prison I went to, these, this this one guy, he was there for life, but he was every day trying to get some young man out of a out of a gang to come over because the forty percent of this prison was was Muslim at one time, and they would just separate from everyone, and there would be no violence in their half, no anything in their half. And they were changing people's lives in that half, you know. And so, you know that whether whether they were using that as their means or not, they were using it as some sort of motivation for safety. But they also used it to say, "You have a better purpose. You have to be a better person. You have to follow some kind of rules that society has, whether it's our society rules or not." Because when you get out, we don't want you back here. And those were great lessons. Yeah, I mean, re-entry as somebody that's been to prison myself. Re-entry needs to start the moment you enter, not 10 days before you leave, not oh, halfway, halfway through your sentence. And so here is, a, you know, you want to put that into the hands of, of, of prisoners or people that, you know, are, have gone through the system. I've actually started a nonprofit organization um, called Nowhere to Go But Up Incorporated, which is going to be a uh, it's going to be a transitional uh, living facility for males 18 to 24 years old coming out of incarceration and re-entering society or returning a, a returning citizen, basically. And it's going to be a one year to a year and a half program where they go through and they figure out all the things that they didn't get while they were inside That's as awesome. to as to become a, you know, a, a man as to live, learning how to, you know, live again, uh, life skills, job skills. There's a program that's going to be implemented in there that we've already gotten licensed to us, uh, for leadership, self-leadership basically, uh, and learning how to rely on yourself and become, you know, basically all the things that I had to figure out, which is, you know, all of my problems start with me. Nobody else. Nope. That's the other lesson. You are responsible for your own actions, and that's the only reality that's true. 
And it's hard in a society that wants to blame everybody else. No, and the only the only choices that I have are two, right? It's either I accept responsibility for how I act, or no, actually, there, here here is here it is. It's either I'm going to respond or react. Those are the things that those are the choices that I have. Yes. I can respond intelligently or react emotionally, which usually gets me in trouble. That's so how I choose to the choice that I have is how I, how I handle things. It's always the intention with the choice. And that's what karma is about too. Mm -hmm. You're, you're hitting it. And reacting is mostly, you know, who, when, when you look at it, when you put it in these terms. So when, when an instigator instigates, who's usually the one that gets in trouble, the person that reacts. reacts. Correct. You know, the, the teacher always turns around as you're reacting to the, the person that's been poking you, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's true in life in general. You know, when you react, you, you usually are the one that ends up in trouble. So learn how to control that. Sean, the, just, just from what little experience that I've had in the prison system, and since you're working on this halfway plan, two of the most successful transition programs that I've seen in Ohio. One was involving teaching the prisoners to be chefs and cooks. Mm. And and the other is construction work because both tend to be outside of the area where they are quite as, you know, pushed back against, you know, it's hard to get a job at a bank. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's not as hard to get a job in construction. And it's not as jar- hard to get a job cooking. But you have to have a job, something. Something has to bring start bringing an income. You have to start producing. Or why do you think that you won't end up in prison again? If you, if you stole because you didn't have enough money or you stole, even if you took drugs and you were stealing for drugs, if you, if you have no means of income, and someone's hungry, they will steal. That does, that doesn't make you a bad person. Yeah, and 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 drugs are were just a symptom of a bigger problem, anyway. Yes. Drug, yes. drugs were were the the manifestation of bad behavior gone wrong, right? Yeah, or, and, or an avoidance thing. It's either to avoid any pain, to avoid things, to hide from what you're doing, so I don't have to experience that I'm doing bad things because I can hide behind it. Absolutely. And, you know, you're, you're 100% right. And I think another key element to that is uh, removal from the, or not going back to the same environment that you, that you left, because even if you're working on things, what ends up happening is that since everything is so subconscious and auto, unlike auto response, even from lying to, to, you know, whatever behaviors that have been ingrained in that year the, the, the time periods of, of, you know, what it took to get you to that point. As soon as you go back into a, a situation where let's say you go back to, you have a, you have a, a dysfunctional family and you go back to that unit, right? It's just going to go leave right where it left off at. It's going to start pick up right where it left off. Absolutely. And so yeah, when you, nothing got fixed while you were gone. Mm-mm. Even if you did, it's still you're going to revert right back into the same same lane and pattern because it's it's so comfortable and so uh, it's what you're used to, right? Right. And we and we tend to always 
go to what we're used to. Like, I mean, that's the same reason why I used to self-sabotage all the time because I grew up in chaos. And so, you know, and it was always told I was bad. And so when I would start to be succeed, I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know it felt so uncomfortable to me. So I was like, ah, I just, I'm going to burn the house down. That way I can go back into chaos and all right, I'm cool here. I, I, yeah. I know, I know how to operate here. <laughs> and so, yeah. And, and I, and I'm actually in construction. Um, that's what I got into uh, when I got out. I was, in, I'm a union guy. I was involved heavily in the business aspect of it. I've been a Sergeant at arms, a, a trustee, a, uh, executive board member for my own union. And so that's going to be a part of it too, because I know the landscape of that and also podcasting right. and teaching these guys how to do something that's going to give them self-esteem because podcasting is what gave me my voice back and allowed me to realize that what you have to say is important. Yes. You know, everybody's experience is important. That's why we come on these podcasts, not only because, and we meet people, just like you, because if we don't all share our experiences, how are we going to learn? Or we're going to keep coming back to more and more lives if, if, if you believe in reincarnation like we do. But what if I can learn from you, Sean, and I don't have to come back? That's perfect. Yeah, that's, 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 that's the point, you know, and, and through stories, hopefully you don't, that exact same thing happens. You know, you, what I'm saying or what a guest of mine is saying, or somebody that I bring on is maybe the thing that you needed to hear to keep you going one more day. That's right. right. Even if it's one person, it's the trickle down effect one person at a time. So, yeah. And that's, that's all we can hope for. Right. You know, yes. if I can, if I can just touch one person and, and be the difference in one person's life, then everything that I've done up to this point is worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what we think too, Sean. Just have to trust the process. Well, I really appreciate you guys coming on the show. Um, I've got your website up there, uh, thegiftofpastlives.com. That's where you can find uh, all of the stuff, including your books. But I actually, I put all of the direct links to uh, Amazon and your books in the description too. So um, if you want to go ahead and talk a little bit about that, because we didn't get into any of your books except for one of them. And there's actually three of them in your series, right? You want to do that, Carla? Um, well, yeah. Sure. Um, yes, all of those books are available on our website as, as well as the other places. Um, the Gift of Past Lives with Mother Isabella, God, and Elizabeth is, again, um, it's all about our experience, how it began. And we uh, included the 20 experiences. Um, the ring on the cover of that book, there's actually a little vignette in the back of the book. It's actually a story within a story. Um, that ring, the 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 stone that's in that ring was actually found in Scotland. What was the year, Dave? 986 AD. And it transferred hands 34 times. And it actually was split into four pieces. And we now own two of those four pieces. So that's a little interesting bit that's in that book. Besides our stories and the lessons that go along with it. Again, that little story about the stone is all about the lessons and how it went from greed to love, from greed to love. And now um, at least three portions of it are living in the hands of love. One is still in the hands of greed. Um, our second book, Hell No Reincarnation, we actually have seven of our, our past lives in that. 
again with the research on reincarnation um, and a little bit about all different types of religions and what they believe. Um, our third book that just came out is called The Manual. And um, interestingly, my favorite thing in life, um, and I would say that I used it as an excuse, but I would always say, well, I never got the manual. And of course, we can all say that because we didn't. So this was kind of our way of putting together um, a step-by-step -step understanding of how God makes us and why we're created the way that we are. And for instance, um, there's a lot of 12s throughout the universe. There's 12 astrological signs. There's 12 apostles. There's 12 donuts and a dozen. There's lots of 12s. We talk about all of those things um, in the book. Um, and how our astrological sign is actually related to the karma of our past life. And God gives us that sign to help us overcome the things that we're not doing. Because God is a very loving parent and does give us chance after chance after chance. And, you know, like most manuals, I'll just read real quickly the first part of the manual because Isabella helped us with this. And it's really kind of cute. It says, what's included in a manual? A manual consists usually of the parts that make up the subject of the said manual. It also includes a section on troubleshooting for when things are not working out as they should and you must evaluate the situation. Then there is a contact list of those available to assist you with the subject as a whole. And finally, you'll find the warranty information. And in this case, if you believe in reincarnation, there is no expiration of the subject. Hopefully there is an included a free lifetimes of service adjustments with that warranty. It also contains the method in which to, to contact the manufacturer, which is God. <laughs> so we also include in there, because Dave has this capability to reach the spiritual world and get some information that's quite interesting. We tell the stories of some well-known uh, figures in history, for instance, like Napoleon, his life before and his life after and why he acted like he did, how his astrological sign affected it before and after and he's just one of the few that we have in there but um yeah, it's kind of fun it makes you self-evaluate because we weren't you know we need all types of signs for a reason um so when you read it we don't want you to feel bad about yourself because you're this sign and you feel this you know way or that way about yourself it's to make yourself evaluate so that you'll overcome and uh our fourth book will be out later this year that's awesome now, for the people that don't know how to meditate, do you have any suggestions as to something that they can reference if they're trying to figure it out? Well, the, the to meditate, book. yeah, well, yeah that's the fourth book. Um, you know, to meditate, all you need is yourself. And a lot of Buddhists will meditate with their eyes open and no music. For us and for a lot of the people in the world, our brains cannot shut down. So we listen to music that is very relaxing, like spa music or, you know, like classical music, things you're not going to hum to because you know or sing the words. We sit in, because we used to teach meditation, we sit in an upright position and you want your head aligned with your spine because, you know, like a pebble in your shoe, if something's uncomfortable, you will not concentrate on anything except that pebble in your shoe. So just sit in a relaxed um, position and from the top of your head going down through your entire body, 
You can picture a nice, warm, bright white light traveling from the top of your head, going into your eyes, your nose, your ears, your mouth, traveling through every part of your body and concentrating on the breath, breathing in and breathing out through each part of your body when your mind jumps into something else like, did I turn the iron off? Um, you just take yourself right back. If you have to, you simply say to yourself, one, two, one, two. You get back in it. You concentrate on your breathing. And you remember that white, warm, bright light that's entering your body and filling you with peace and contentment. You need to practice this regularly. Meditation isn't something that you just sit down and get. We do it, you know, for everybody, not everybody like Dave. He can get to there in three seconds. Um, you should do it for at least 30 minutes a day. Make the time like you would taking a shower, working out, any of those things. Put it into your day, and we promise the results are absolutely unbelievable. You will feel so much better about yourself, and the health benefits are fantastic. I suggest everybody shut off the news tonight and meditate for 30 minutes and instead take, of watching the, instead of watching <laughs> the news mm-hmm. and they one last little message we do have to do something to make this world a better place whether you believe what we're doing to this planet is good or not you're either leaving it to your children and if you believe in reincarnation you're leaving it to yourself let's take care of the planet too well, that's a great note to end it on. And I really appreciate you guys coming on to the show and uh, talking about this stuff. And if you want to come back on again and, 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 you know, talk about some other things revolving around it, I'm more than willing to have you on there. Your next book comes out. Uh, we can, you know, come back on and you can talk about that as well. Uh, I definitely appreciate everything and your transparency and your authenticity. And one thing I got to know. So all of this energy moving around and, and, and tracking back to the life between you and, and Carla, uh, Dave, you guys ever end up just saying screw it and being together? Or are you still friends? We're just friends at this point. I'm going to tell Dave's you. She's my best friend. She's my best friend. She's the most warm, wonderful, caring woman that I have ever known. Well, that's amazing. And to be able to have somebody like that on your team that's been with you for as long as you say, you know, have been traveling through energy wise. I think it's really cool. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure as well. Um, And so I'm going to go ahead and uh, in this one, I got another one coming at five o'clock with uh, Mike Moon, who is a photographer, and he's also a former U.S. Marine uh, combat photojournalist. So he'll be on the uh, podcast at 5 p.m. PST, and uh, we'll be ta- he'll be telling his story and uh, talking a little bit about all of this stuff. So once again, I definitely appreciate you guys and loved everything about it uh love the conversation and definitely dig what you're doing and, and the energy that you're putting out there so and you too thank absolutely you. keep up the good work sean thank you guys and uh until next time well or at least until 40 minutes from now uh keep it 100 stay true to yourself because everything else is just noise <laughs>
You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.